And what I'm going to preach about tonight is what I think is one of the most important topics that can be covered uh, in the walk of a Christian. And it is our identity in Christ. And this is something that God has been hammering on me the past few months. Who am I? Who am I in Christ? How does God see me? You know, how does Satan see me? How does this work? And lately when I've been reading the word, just traits, characters that the Lord has given us as Christians just keep standing out and standing out. And so I knew I had to share on this tonight. What I'm going to share tonight, I would consider this more like an introduction type message that would be like a 22-week series. (laughs) Because this is something that I, I feel that every Christian should be studying their entire life. That this isn't something that you just learn, your identity, and then you just forget about it. And you just keep going, or I got that down. But is this something we have to keep claiming? We have to keep claiming as Christians. And God gives us fresh revelations, just like with the cross, all right? And that grace and that mercy, he gives us fresh revelation of who we are in Christ with every day. So before I get to the message, let me go ahead and pray, and we'll get rolling. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, and we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the deliverance, for the new life that we have in you. We thank you, Lord God, that we are no longer of this world, Lord God, that you have, Lord God, forgiven us, that you have redeemed us, Lord God, that you have called us, Lord God, into heaven, and we bless your name. And God, I pray fresh revelation tonight. I pray you release fresh revelation, even amidst, Lord, some of these most simple, Lord, uh, identities, God. I pray that you encourage us. I pray that, Lord God, you just, you just touch us, Lord. God, I pray for a new mind in all of us, Lord, a new mind tonight, Lord God. May you renew our mind tonight, Lord, including myself. May you renew us, Lord Jesus. May we know who we are more and more in you, Lord God. And may we, Lord God, Father, be let go, let go, Lord God, of this world, Lord God, and the things this world tells us. May you bless your church. May you bless, Lord God, all who hear, Lord Jesus, your truth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well... Uh, ever since I was in college fellowship and went on missions, maybe starting in about 2003, um, I've seen demons manifest, okay, you know, all over the place, whether it's at a retreat or on the missions field or in a prayer meeting or even at a large group gathering, things like that. Usually when the spirit is moving very intensely or there's a lot of spiritual warfare, suddenly a demon will manifest, okay, and I don't know if you guys have ever been around something like that or not, but this was something that just started to happen more and more during my last few years at college. And during my first few times around this, I would watch as people would react. And for most people, it was their first time seeing a demon manifest. And I guess, you know, it's kind of scary or kind of weird. So some people would be there shouting, 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 you know, at at the person and, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, rebuking the demon. Others people would be crying, like, oh, you know, like that, you know, over the person. And, and you get a lot of commotion. You get a lot of commotion. Okay, but now and then, in some of these circumstances, there would be one person that would just come up and pray calmly in the name of Jesus. I bind you, demon, by the blood of Jesus. And the person suddenly would become calm. Okay, and, and I would wonder, what, what is the difference? Why did that person who prayed the exact same prayer that those ten people were shouting... Why, why did the demon listen to that person and not them? What's the difference in the authority here? Because we're all Christians. We're all redeemed. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Same spirit lives in me as lives in Chea, lives in G. So what's, what's, what's the deal? What is the difference in the spiritual authority? Why would 
The enemy seemed relaxed when some people were praying, but when another person would enter the room, they would freak out, okay? Cause all this commotion. One of the biggest reasons, uh, one of the biggest differences in spiritual authority the Lord has taught me over the years, it comes in a person's identity in Christ. It comes in how much we know who we are in God. And this is what I want us to cover tonight. Those with spiritual authority understand that they are not of this world. They understand that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that they've been given authority from Jesus. They understand that Jesus is the name above every name, and yet Jesus calls us friends. They know that no weapon forged against them will prosper. They know that God is their shepherd and will never leave them, will always be with them. So why should they fear? People who have that revelation in their life, who know it completely, Satan trembles at these people because he knows he can't touch them. Because these people are representing Christ. They know who they are in Christ. When demons see these such people, they shudder and they flee. So what is Satan's strategy in the battle? He knows he can't overcome against such people. So he tries to attack all the other Christians and tries to shame us, tries to deceive us, tries to smear us into believing an identity that is not truly our own. He tries to ruin our identity in Christ. He wants to steal it away from us and make us think that we're no better than the animals around us. The past few months, I've had the privilege of discipling some of the brothers here at church. You guys might know who I'm discipling, but uh, I've just been blessed to grow with the Lord more and more with them together. And one of the activities I had us do was what I just had you all do tonight was write down their identity. Who are they? And I've done this with other brothers in the church as well. Uh, not many, but a few. And, uh, you know, when they first start writing, it is the basic, you know, I'm Korean, I'm a male, I'm, you know, a teacher, I'm a helper, uh, I'm a singer, I'm this and that. But then as they start sharing and they start getting a little more honest, they reflect more and they say things like, oh, I'm prideful, I'm a troublemaker, uh, I'm critical, I'm scatterbrained, I'm a lawbreaker. You know, things like that. And it's other similar negative traits. They're just being honest. This is part of their identity. This is part of their past and part of the things that they're carrying. And for some of us, we might have incidents in our lives that give us those negative traits. Maybe uh, someone that we loved or admired calling us ugly or calling us fat. Maybe a secret sin that makes you feel dirty or hopeless, just unable to overcome. Maybe a teacher calling you stupid or something like that. But something that has smeared our identity. Something that has these negative traits in our lives. That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants us to carry those negative traits. He wants us to think that that's just a part of who you are. And that when you die, then you'll go to heaven and then you'll be okay. You just got to deal with it the rest of your life. Don't worry about it. That's what Satan wants you to believe. But tonight, we're going to open up the word. And guys, I need you to have your Bibles ready, okay? Because we are going to look at more scripture than you've ever looked at before in any sermon you've ever listened, okay? I'm trying to prepare you guys. So if you don't know your Bible, if you don't know where the books in the Bible are, just be humble, swallow your pride, and sit next to someone who knows, okay? Sit next to Larry or uh, next to G, and they'll guide you through it. First and foremost, we want to look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is going to be the theme of of the sermon today. And if you haven't guessed already, the title to the sermon is Identity in Christ. 
identity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. And tonight I'm going to be reading the scripture. You guys can read along. I am going to read in the ESV. Okay, so if you have the NIV, it might be a few words different, but it's going to be the same message in all these verses. So Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 22 through 24, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right, now turn a few pages in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to guess and say you have to turn three pages, but maybe it's four. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So there's a theme here in these verses, if you haven't picked it up. Okay, it is to... Put off your old self, which was you before you knew Jesus, before you were in Christ, and to put on the new self, your identity in Christ, who you are in the Lord. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to start that process. What I want you to do is to take your sheet of paper where you wrote down who you are, your identity, and to write above that, all right, in bold letters, old self. Old self, okay? Now, there might be some positive traits on there that you're going to hold on to, okay? And there might be some negative traits on there that God is actually going to use for his glory. But for every negative trait on there, all right, that is not of God, such as troublemaker, lawbreaker, things like that, I want you to write old self. Then I want you to make a new column or on a new sheet of paper, write new self. And then put number one. And we're going to go number one, number two, number three, on down. New identities that we're going to begin claiming in prayer. Some of these you already know. Some of these are just Sunday school identities that I think you've all known for a long time. Some of these it might be your first time hearing tonight. All right. Let's get your Bibles ready. This is going to be, we're going to cover a lot of identity traits. You can consider this like a 22-point sermon. Uh, but it's going to be about less than a minute per point. So here we go. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. You can write the verse reference next to number one, if you'd like. Second Corinthians five, 17. Here we go. Second Corinthians five, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. First identity trait we're going to claim tonight is new creation. New creation. Go ahead and write that down. New creation. First and foremost, when you first become a Christian, when you first accept Christ, what you have to understand and what is not often taught is that you are a new creation. You are totally different. There is a reason why Jesus liked to use the term born again. Born again. It means that your old self is dead and you are new. 
You are a new creation. You are alive now in the Holy Spirit. You have been born again. So Satan wants to keep reminding us of our past. He wants to keep thinking that we're still that old creation. Oh, I'm still a sinner. I'm still just struggling along. Okay? But God says, no. You are no longer that way. You are a new creation in my sight. So I want you to repeat after me right now. Okay? Please declare this with me and mean it. Repeat after me. In Christ, I am a new creation. Amen. Okay, we're going to keep doing this. Next, Ephesians chapter 1, 7. Number 2, Ephesians 1, verse 7. We're going to fly through this. Ephesians 1, verse 7. Okay, if, if, if you're struggling keeping up in your notes, then just write down the verse reference, and uh, you don't have to open up your Bible. It helps going through the Bible, but... If you're struggling with time, just write it in your notes. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Next identity trait, redeemed. Redeemed. So not only are you a new creation, but you are redeemed. You can add to this, next to it, comma, justified, comma, forgiven. Whatever word you want to use. Okay, I like redeemed. When we confess faith in God and accept Christ into our hearts, we are redeemed by his blood. Every negative trait, every past failure, every past sin has been covered over. Our sins have been hurled into the depths of the sea. Okay, so very simple. Please declare with me. In Christ, I am redeemed. Amen. When we pray the blood of Jesus over ourselves, we're basically stating our redemption in God. We no longer belong to the prince of this world. We now belong to the king of sinners. Okay? The prince that we no longer belong to the king of sinners. Excuse me. We've been redeemed from a life of sin. We've been redeemed. Okay? This leads to our next character trait. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. So we no longer belong to the prince of this world, the king of sinners. We now belong to Christ. We are redeemed. We'll see this right here. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You belong to God. That is our next identity trait. You belong to God. Belong to God. Go ahead and write that down. Belong to God. If we've been redeemed from a life of sin, if we've been uh, rescued from the king of sinners, from the prince of this world, who do we belong to? We belong to our redeemer. We belong to God. We are not our own. We are God's possession. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm giving you a verse, one verse for every trait here, all right, throughout this. But I just want to tell you that there are multiple verses all throughout the Bible that emphasize these traits I'm giving you tonight. Okay? And there is power in understanding that you are God's possession. It's power in understanding your identity traits. In John 10, 28 and 29, it says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. Now, I want to take a short pause and share the sexual bondage, okay, sexual bondage is one of Satan's favorite ways 
okay, and to make us believe that we belong to him and not to God. Sexual bondage is one of his favorite ways to make us feel hopeless, shameful, dirty, and just not worthy to be with the Lord. And he will try and convince every person that struggles with sexual sin that you just can't get over it, that you just might as well succumb to it, you just might as well deal with it the rest of your life until the day you die. Okay, that's what he wants you to believe. But the truth is, if you are God's possession, Satan cannot snatch you from the Lord. He cannot overcome you. He cannot. These are lies that he is giving to you. The only power Satan has is the power you allow him to have. Okay, the only power that he has is the power you allow in into your mind. Why? Because you belong to God. You are God's possession. Satan cannot touch you. When we understand that we belong to God, Satan knows that his time is short. It will only be time until we confess our sins, receive God's forgiveness, and claim his promises. At this point, Satan's grip is completely lost. So if you're struggling with sexual bondage, if there are people in this room that are struggling with sexual bondage, understand that you are God's possession. And when you confess your sins to brothers and sisters in Christ, and when you are open, the Lord will give you strength. He will come in and he will heal you. And Satan's grip in your life will be taken away. There is victory in Jesus. So please repeat after me. I belong to God. God. Amen. Speak it out, guys. Speak it out. There's power in your words. There's power in your words. Most of the identities that you wrote down before were probably words you've spoken over yourself before. It's time to now be speaking our identity in Christ over ourselves. Next, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21-22. A lot of scripture tonight. I figure it's better for you to hear from the source than from me. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay, this is a little long, but it is anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you are anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Write that down. Anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we have been anointed by God to do good works, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. It is the spirit that lives within us that is greater than he that lives within this world. It is the spirit that gives us power and strength and victory over the enemy. But not only are we anointed, we are sealed inside with the Holy Spirit. Satan cannot steal the spirit away from us. This world, the things of this world cannot steal the spirit away from us. We are marked by God. We are God's possession, and his spirit is his marking, his seal upon our lives. So the enemy knows when he sees us, he sees the Holy Spirit within us, and he trembles. You are anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. So please repeat after me. I am anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Keep moving. Romans 6, verse 11 told you this is more of an introduction. I think with every point that we're covering tonight, you could preach a full, full message on. 
Romans 6, verse 11. I like this verse. Romans 6, verse 11. I like all the verses. <laughs> it says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right, two traits here, two traits. Dead to sin, that's one. Dead to sin, the other. Alive in Christ. Alive in Christ. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. Now, something I was taught in English class, one of the few things I remember is, is that it's important to, to know the verb tenses. It's important to know whether it's past, present, or future. Let's look at this verse. Is this verse, what, what verb tense is this verse written in? Is it present? You are dying to sin. Is it future? You will die to sin when, when, when you die in your physical body. Or is it past? Okay, you can speak up. It, it, it is past. We are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. Sometimes I've wondered, what, what does this mean? What does it mean to be dead to sin? Because it's obvious that we still struggle with sin. What does it mean to be dead to sin? Now, there's a saying in English that, you know, when you're really upset with someone, when they've like hurt you or let you down or whatever, you say, that person is dead to me. Dead to me. That person's just dead to me. Okay? What does that mean? All right, what, what it's supposed to mean, what you're trying to say is that person no longer has effect on me. I've forgotten about that person. That person is gone, no longer has any part of my identity, just no effect on me. I've moved on. I've moved on. Person is dead to me. Okay? And usually when most people say that, the, the truth is they don't really mean it. But when we say that we're dead to sin, we do mean it. It means that our relationship with sin is done. It means that sin is no longer a part of our identity. That in your list of identity, there should be no sinful characteristic because you are dead to sin. We no longer think of sin. Our identity is now in Christ. We are alive in Christ. Our life is through Christ, not through sin, through Christ. Dead to sin, it's gone. Alive in Christ, moving forward. Goodbye, sin. Hello, Christ. Please repeat after me. I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. Amen. Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.1. So these are the foundation identities that we're covering right here. These every Christian has to be convinced of. Every Christian has to just say this off the top of their head right away. These identities. I want to encourage you guys, if, if any of these identities are new to you, you need to be speaking them out fervently, often. But all of these identities, we need to be claiming over ourselves often. Uh, just If you can do it every day, that's awesome. You will, you will find new life in the Lord. You will find new revelation. Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Free. Free. In Christ, I am free. I am free. In Christ, I am free. Okay? This trait only emphasizes all the more that no longer does sin have hold against you. No longer are you in bondage to anything of this world. You are free in Christ. It is now our choice 
whether to submit to sin again or to live for Christ. There is freedom in the Lord. Freedom from bondage of sin as well as freedom from guilt. Freedom from the things of the past. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So if God chooses to forget your sins, if God chooses to move on, then why should you remember them? Why should you be burdened by them? God has called us to be free. He has called us to be free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Please repeat after me. I am free. Okay, if you want to add free to sin, you know, free, not free to sin, but free from sin. Yeah, that's better. Help me out here, guys. All right, free from sin. You can add that. But I am free. I am free. Next, John chapter 1, verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to wrap up the basic identities here and get a little deeper. But this is one more. Identity that I think all of us say, but very few of us really know, um, you know, and me included. This is something that God is continuing to give me revelation of, continuing to speak to me about. And I'll tell you that people in deliverance ministry, people that are, you know, with authority to cast out demons, this is one of the identity traits that they are very confident of, that the Lord has given them faith in, given them revelation in. John 1.12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All right, you can write down child of God, son of God, daughter of God. Write down whatever applies to you, whichever you want to write down. All right, but we are a part of the family of the Lord. We don't only belong to him. We're not only redeemed, okay, and, and allowed into his presence, but we are called his family. We have greater value to him than anything else created. Now, I want you to write down this verse, Deuteronomy 14.2. You don't have to turn to it, but write it down, Deuteronomy 14.2. Because, I, you know, we're all, all of us here are sons and daughters. Um, you know, whether we had parents or our parents are still alive, we, are, we were all sons and daughters. But for some of us, that wasn't really a happy relationship. That wasn't really something that we wanted. But here in Deuteronomy 14.2, it says this, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you are his treasured possession. Write that one down. Treasured possession. Treasured possession. This is one the Lord's just now speaking to me about. A lot of us have been told different values from our, our parents, well, you know, our value as a person. Some of our parents have been very kind and encouraging. Some of our parents have been very harsh and tough on us. I believe that all of our parents in some way did love us. But the Lord says we are his treasured possession. His love is greater than all. In Zechariah 2, he says that we are his apple, the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. I mean, that's another identity you can claim if you want. In Zechariah 2, apple of his eye. That is the, the most guarded and protected place, most sensitive place on your body, the apple of your eye. And that's what God calls us. We are precious to him. We are his treasured possession. And to just hammer this home, write down 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John 3, verse 1. 
this is one that we say all the time, you know, as well. Um, you know, we're loved by the Father, but this is one that we need continued revelation of. First John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Next identity is loved by the Father. Loved by the Father. It was God's delight to adopt us into his family. We are loved by the Father. He chose us because he loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. God so loved the world that he gave his son for us. There is a special security in knowing that you are a child of God. There is a special security in knowing you are his treasured possession, that you are loved by the Father. No matter what storms this world may throw at us, no matter what madness might happen around us, to know that you are loved by the Father in heaven, that you are his treasured possession, I mean, why should we fear? Why should we doubt? Why? We are loved by the King. We are loved by our Father. God is good. God is good. Repeat after me. I am a child of God. I am God's treasured possession. I am loved by the Father. Amen. Amen. But not only is there peace and security in knowing that you're a child of God, there's also responsibility. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. This is another key verse for the church. Key verse right here. Ephesians 2, 6. This verse gives me so much strength. Ephesians 2, 6. It says this, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realm, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is your identity. Seated with God in heaven. In Christ, I am seated with God in heaven. Okay. This is all identity in Christ. Seated with God in heaven. Again, let's, let's look at the verb tense here. Will we be seated with God in heaven? Is it future tense? Are we being seated with God in heaven? Is it, is it present tense? No, it is past tense. We have been raised up. We are spiritual beings now. We have been born again. We are made alive in Christ. We have been raised up and we are now seated with God in heaven. Understanding your position in Christ is so important. There's a reason why I'm up here on the stage standing and all of you guys are sitting, listening, okay? It's because for this short amount of time, I've been given the authority to speak here. Now, if I were in the back of the room under that table trying to preach to you guys from there, what level of authority would I have? Okay, I think it'd be kind of weird, all right? I think you guys would probably kind of get annoyed after a while. But now imagine if I was in World Cup Stadium and it's packed and I'm up on this huge platform and it's filled with all the leaders of Korea, the leaders of Asia, and they are seated before me and they are attentive to every word that I speak. The expectance of authority has changed a lot there, right? Okay. Understanding your position, where you are as you pray, where you are in God is critical. When we pray, we're not just one voice out of billions of people trying to be heard. Okay? We are seated with God in the heavens. 
There are angels in front of us that are listening. There is God right beside us. The demonic realm, the demons, they are under us. They are under us because we are seated with God in heaven. This will release spiritual authority in your life. As you claim this, as you understand when you pray that you're seated with God in heaven, that your words are heard, that whatever you bind in heaven is bound on earth, whatever you loose in heaven is loose on earth, there's power. There is power. And when the enemy tries to lie at you, there's laughter. Because you're seated with God in heaven. You have been raised up in the Lord. That's the truth. It's right there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Please repeat after me. I am seated with God in heaven. Amen. All right, next verse is one of my favorites in terms of identity in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I had the Bible study um, <clears throat> that I led memorize this one. Solid verse. This is multiple identities here. This verse is loaded with identities in God, but we're going to choose two things uh, from this. First Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Two words I want you to write separately. Number one, royalty. Royalty. How often have you heard that in the church? Royalty. The other is priest. Priest. Royalty and priest. Royalty, emphasizing, is just emphasizing again that you are seated with God in heaven. That you are a son of God. If you are a son of God, that means you are a prince of God. That you are an heir to the throne. That you have been given a level of authority in your life. You are royalty. You are not some sinner that is struggling, that is begging, that is on your knees crying out, Oh God, please hear my prayer. You are royalty in God's sight. You are royalty. Royalty. Amen. But the other one, right under it, will help us understand how we're supposed to exercise that authority. We are called priests, priests of the Most High. All right, Isaiah 61 emphasizes that as well. They will be called priests of the Most High, ministers of our God, priests of the Most High. We aren't meant to rule over people here on earth, but rather to intercede for them, to love them, to serve them. Priests in the Old Testament were in the business of giving offerings and declaring grace and cleansing for the people. All right, for giving offerings and declaring grace and cleansing for the people. And we're called to do the same. We're called to proclaim the grace and cleansing we have received from God and to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, offering our bodies as a living offering to our Lord. Please repeat after me. Speak it loud. Speak it loud. I am royalty. I am a priest. Amen. Amen. Claim it, guys. Claim it. Next, Philippians 3.20. Another one of my favorite identities here. Philippians 3.20, another verse that I had Bible study memorized. Philippians 3.20. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Next identity is you are a citizen of heaven. A citizen of heaven. If you want to write it down, you can write down you're an alien to this world. Alien to this world. Stranger to this world. You are a citizen of heaven. So not only are we seated in heaven, but we have citizenship. Hallelujah. We have citizenship. We are no longer uh, possessions to this world. We no longer belong to this world. We are no longer under the authority of the things of this world. We do not live by the law of sin, but we live by the law of grace, the law of love. Satan's called the prince of this world because he rules over the sinners. But we're dead to sin. We're alive in Christ. We are citizens of heaven. Satan's rule no longer has any power over us. Guys, you are out of this world. You are out of this world. You are heavenly beings. Heavenly beings. You are eternal beings. You are spiritual beings. Satan cannot steal you away. Nothing can get to you. You are a citizen of heaven. This life is just a blink of the eye in the light of eternity. Citizens of heaven. Please repeat after me. I am a citizen of heaven. heaven. Amen. Okay, let's keep rolling. Romans 6, 23. Romans 6, 23. I'm going to hit this one kind of quick. Romans 6, 23. says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just spoke that out. You are eternal beings. Eternal being eternal being as i think we all know a lot of what i'm sharing tonight but this is stuff that we have to claim this is stuff that we have to get in our system this is stuff that when people ask who are you you just start spitting out like crazy it's going to really surprise them (laughs) but it's it's powerful it is powerful you are an eternal being this life is just a blink of the eye in the light of eternity suffering those things just whatever it's very meaningless in the light of eternity We have already won. When Jesus spoke on the cross, it is finished. He meant it. It is finished. From the moment Christ died on the cross, there was victory. There was victory in our lives here on earth, victory in heaven. We are eternal beings. Go ahead and repeat after me. I am an eternal being. being. Amen. Okay, Romans 8, 37. Romans 8, 37. These next three relate to each other. I really like them. Romans 8.37 says, No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Write that down. More than conquerors. More than conquerors. Paul is writing this to the Roman church, and he knew that the Roman citizens understood what this meant, to be more than a conqueror. When the Romans were victorious in battle. They weren't just victorious. They were more than victorious. What they would do is they would take the prisoners, they would take the animals, they would take the food, they would take the riches, and they would parade it. They would wrap it all up in chains and then walk through Rome and parade it. And everyone would gather and cheer them on. Yeah, yeah, more than conquerors. We are not just soldiers in this world. We're not just fighting the battle. We're not just going to win. 
But we're called to be more than conquerors. We're called to proclaim the victory that we have in Christ. We're called to speak out the testimonies of what the Lord has done in our life. We are more than conquerors. We have overcome. When Jesus, I'm sorry, when God said to Joshua, go and take the promised land, it was already Joshua's. It was already his. All he had to do was step out and take it. All he had to do was claim it. By claiming that you are more than a conqueror, you are already taking the land. You are already taking what is ahead of you. You have this newfound confidence in the Lord that he who is with you is greater than he that is in this world, that no weapon forced against you will prevail. You have overcome in him. That if God is for you, who can be against you? So please repeat after me. I am more than a conqueror. Amen. Next, 1 John 5, 18. 1 John 5, 18. 1 John 5, 18 says this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. The evil one does not touch him. The evil one does not touch him. You are untouchable. 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 In Christ, you are untouchable. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not prone to trials, okay, or struggles or temptation. But what it does mean is that you are protected by God. Satan cannot get into your soul. He cannot steal away your faith in Christ. He cannot steal your joy. I was at a conference recently, and we were hearing stories of martyrs, stories of people that were tortured, people that endured just horrible things. And these stories would just rip you up. And one of the stories was a young girl, young, bright, teenage girl in China that was arrested for Christ and was raped and tortured repeatedly for months to the point where she could barely walk, okay? And when the pastor who had led her in Christ and discipled her finally found her after she'd been released, this was a couple years later, she was sharing with him and he was just devastated. And he was so sorry for what had happened to her. And tears were just in his eyes as they were speaking together. But he looked, she looked at him, and she smiled. And she said, They may have defiled my body, but my soul is clean. My soul is pure. And she knew what it meant to be untouchable. She knew that her reward was in heaven. She knew that God was within her. And what meant, what, what meant the world was that she was clean in Christ. That is powerful. Satan could not steal her love or her joy. We are untouchable. Please repeat after me. I am untouchable. untouchable. Amen. Next, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, 28. We're almost done, guys. Hang in there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, 28. says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. In Christ, you are called to be fearless. Fearless. Write that one down. Fearless. Identity in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are untouchable. You are fearless. You might not feel that way right now, but this is the way God has called you to be. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. 
When you understand that you're a child of God, that you're a citizen of heaven, that you're seated with God, that you're more than a conqueror, that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you are untouchable, it's only natural that you're going to become fearless. It's only natural. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? As you start speaking out who you are in Christ, you're going to find your prayers go to another level. No longer do the things of this world cause you to fear or to doubt or to just cower away. Satan and all his attacks are revealed as what they really are, weak and powerless. Please repeat after me. I am fearless. I am fearless. Amen. Okay, I'm going to give you verse references. I'm going to just briefly brush over these. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? God's spirit dwells within you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. Identity trait is temple of God. Temple of God. You represent God's presence. You carry his presence wherever you go. You are a temple of God and you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. Temple of God, you represent God's presence. Next, Matthew 5.13. Just write down the reference. Matthew 5.13. Very, very short. It says, Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. That's a weird one. Salt of the earth. Because salt has kind of lost its meaning over time. Salt in the past represented your truth, your word. I don't take his word with a grain of salt. That means you don't believe in him. That's because in the past, when you made a covenant with someone, you would give it with salt. Salt was like the currency. Okay? Salt preserves. Salt brings taste. Okay? You offer truth and life to this dead world. You offer truth and life to this dead world. What you speak, it's truthful. It's right. You are the salt of the earth. You bring forth life in this dead world. People that are lost in sin, they're just just losing their appetite to live. When you speak to them, you bring life into them. You bring the salt into them. Next, Matthew 5, 14. Next verse. You guys know this one. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. That's the easiest one. Light of the world. Light of the world. Okay? If you're a temple of the Lord, you represent God's presence. That means his light is shining through you. All right, this is the land of darkness, the land of sin, but you are not of this world. You are a citizen of heaven. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by him. His light shines through you. It pierces through the darkness. It overcomes the darkness. You offer light in every dark place. No matter what struggle a person is in, if they see you and they see Christ in you, they see light. They see hope. They see salvation. Light of the world. Last one I'm going to give you guys for today, and there are plenty more. John 15, 15, John 15, 15, John 15, 15 says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that, for all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You are a friend of God, friend of God, friend of God. I think that speaks for itself. Friend of God. So we've just covered 22 identity traits, all right, 22 traits of our identity in Christ. And there are plenty more. I just wanted to give you guys a good start. Now, what I want us to do is I want to speak them out, each and every one of them. 
All right. And let's see if you feel the power of the Lord working through you. Speak it out. All right. And mean it. Speak it loudly. All right. We're going to start with new creation. Before every trait, I want you to say, I am the new creation. I am redeemed. I, I, in Christ, I belong to God. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ like that. Okay. So say it with me, starting with number one. I am a new creation. I am redeemed. I belong to God. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. I am free. I am a child of God. I am God's treasured possession. I am loved by the Father. I am seated with God in heaven. I am royalty. I am a priest. I am a citizen of heaven. I am an eternal being. I am more than a conqueror. I am, an un- I am untouchable. I am fearless. I am a temple of God. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a friend of God. Amen. When you start speaking that in prayer over and over, is you're going to feel the power of the Lord working through you. There is going to be new levels of authority that are going to be given to you as you continue to claim these things. It's the truth of the Lord. Now tonight we've covered identities in Christ, and these are meant for every single Christian. They're meant for everyone in this room, not just for one person or two people. This is every single Christian, every single person in Christ. But I will tell you that there are differences in us that God has created us different. Okay, he has called some to be prophets, some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. He's called some to be joy givers, some to be shepherds, some to be warriors. There's different anointings upon us. These promises, these identity traits that we've just gone through, they're the same for every single person. But for us, there's also certain callings. The Lord looks to us differently, each and every person. He doesn't just view us as one lump, one just robotic people. They're all the same. He sees us differently. He sees each and every one of us as individuals. And what you're going to find as you grow with the Lord, people are going to speak over you names. People are going to emphasize certain things about your character. We're all called to be warriors. We're all called to be shepherds. We're all called to be joy givers. But for some of us, there's a special anointing there. For some of us, there's a special anointing in leading praise. Some of us, there's a special anointing in preaching. Some of us, there's a special anointing in serving and encouraging and loving and just taking care of the little things. Some of us, there's an anointing to to heal. Some of us, there's an anointing to perform signs and miracles. There is a different words for the, the Lord has for us, different names that the Lord has for us, and we need to find them out. God can reveal them in dreams and visions and prophetic word and just prayer time. He can speak to you. Revelation 2.17, Jesus says that he is a white stone with a new name for each person who overcomes. And that new name will only be known by the person he gives it to. That means God has special names for each and every one of us. Special names, endearing names. I mean, you guys have seen like couples in love. And they have those like really sappy names for each other that just really creep you out. But this love, that's power. They would only share that with each other. There's a special bond there. And guys, God has special names for each and every one of you. And I want to encourage you, as you grow in your identity in God, as you speak out these scriptures, also ask the Lord, Father, speak to me. Give me my name. What do you call me? How do you see me? What have you called for me? What are the names you have for me? 
And guys, as the Lord begins to reveal these names in your life, you're going to find new courage, new confidence. His will for you is going to be made all the more clear. Specific words. So in your old self list, you might have had stuff like, um, I, I remember one, one of the brothers, he said scatterbrained. Okay. Now that would be a negative term, but that is also something the Lord can use and that he is perspective. Okay. Perspective. So some of these traits that you viewed as, as negative in your life, like another brother shared, oh, I'm a clown. Okay. And normally that's viewed negatively. The truth is the Lord has called them to be a joy giver. When he's around people, there is a level of joy that increases. Level of freedom, level of laughter. So you're going to find some of those negative traits in your old self. The Lord wants to redeem. He wants to make it right. He wants you to see them in a new light. But I'll also tell you, there are some of those negative traits that you just need to be done with. Okay? You know, if you wrote down like prideful or, or pervert or lawbreaker or something like that, that's not something we, we want to claim or we want to try and find the bright side in. Okay? The Lord has cleansed us. All right? He's delivered us. He's called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So look over that. And the things that you see that there's no light in, just cross it out. You're dead to it. You're dead to that old cell. That's no longer you. That is no longer you. That is no longer you. If there is ever the thought that that is you, that's of the enemy. And you need to rebuke it and you need to claim who you are in Christ. Before those gray areas, pray about it. And I believe the Lord's going to show you how he really meant to use that character trait of you. He's going to bless it. If you're still struggling with sin in your life, if there's one of those sins in your old self that you cannot get over, that you, know, you try and claim and through Scripture, through the truth that you're struggling with, please see me or Aaron or one of the pastors of this church, and we can set up a counseling session for you. Like I said before, if you're struggling with sexual sin or in bondage of something else, when you confess your sins and pray with someone, the prayer, you will be healed. The prayers of a righteous men are powerful and effective. That's James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. There is freedom. We are called to be free. You are free in Christ. So if you are not experiencing it as you pray and as you read the word, go ahead and, and talk to me or talk to Aaron or talk to a leader in your church, and you will find that freedom. We will help you through it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, what you've heard tonight, Put it into practice. Speak it out. You will find new power. You will find new victory in Christ. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are our daddy, that you love us, that you call us, Lord God, your treasured possession. Hallelujah, Lord God, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us, that we may be free that we may be dead to sin and alive in you, that we may be seated in the heavenlies, that we may have eternal life, that we may be more than conquerors over sin, that we are untouchable from the things of this world, that we are not only untouchable, but we are fearless against the enemy. Hallelujah, Lord. And I pray that you release newfound boldness in your church, that you release newfound courage in this church, newfound faith, new confidence, Lord God, that if you are for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah, Lord God. And you have given us the authority to finish the Great Commission. Lord Jesus, you are going to work through us, Lord God, because we are your family and you adore us, Lord God. And Lord God, as we, Lord, act out, as we, Lord God, show, Lord God, Lord God, love to this world, they will know we are Christians by our love. They will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Your light will shine before all men. And you will receive glory. Your kingdom will be built. 
So we bless your name. We pray, Lord, build us up. We pray, Lord, give us strength. Give us conviction. Give us, Lord God, Father, just the discipline, Lord God, to speak these truths out, to claim them, Lord God, in your name. And we pray, Lord God, let every stronghold, Lord Jesus, let every lie of the enemy, Lord God, be brought forth into the light. Let it be crumbled down. Let it be destroyed. In Jesus' name, Lord, let there be freedom for your church. Let there be power and authority, Lord Jesus, for everyone in your church, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. You have come to set us free, Lord Jesus. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We receive it and we exalt you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.